Hello, my name is Marlene, and, and this thing is, I'm short, you know, I'm short and I admit it. Um, I'm Marlene, and I'm a very grateful member of the Al-Anon family groups. Uh, since 1989, December 6, 1988, actually, almost 15 years, I needed to be here from the moment I was born. Uh, they should have just put it on my birth certificate, you know, just pre-Al-Anon, you know, it's like... Uh, the, the booze won't work on her, but keep them a amen away from her. Uh, those, those alcoholic men, she's going to love everyone she runs into. And she's going to try to take them home and take care of them, too. And I've still got the disease because I believe Cindy's higher power gave her a, a raw deal. And I want to take her home and take care of her, too. And then, die, you know? <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, uh, but how can you top speakers like the ones that we've had today? You know, um, I, I'm not going to try to top anybody. I'm just going to tell you my story and tell you what happened to me and where I came from. Um, you will know by the time that I'm finished that I love AA. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. And I am grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, I won't swear that anybody in this room did anything to make sure that I was here. You didn't cause me to be here. But I'm grateful that you are here. AAs are here and that um, those first AAs a long time ago made it possible for the wives and families, that families of alcoholics that really are affected so deeply had a place to go and a place where we could talk and share and learn and grow. Um, I'm grateful to Alateen because um, my, my daughter um, that I, I contribute, she saved my life a few times. And uh, she was the first one that took me. She wanted me to go to Alateen. She wanted to go to Alateen and uh, wanted me to take her. And that kind of got me started there. I kind of understand fans that hit the racks. I kind of hit the racks often myself. Uh, you know, it, we've heard about the previous speakers. They, they break out in felonies and, and they break out uh, in places. and. I break out in stupids. That's the best that I can say. I simply break out in stupids. I don't know what my motivation has been uh, for anything I've done. I, I really don't know. I have nobody to blame my behavior on. Um, I do want to say thank you very much for inviting me up to talk. It's, it's amazing. I have a family. I'm from a family of 14 children. When you grow up with 14 kids, you know, a mom and a dad in a little bitty house, nobody's going to listen to the 11th kid. I mean, why would they? I mean, it's already been said ten times. So who cares what the 11th kid has to say? And um, so when somebody wants me to come and talk about anything, I'm so pleased. I'm just really honored, honored and pleased. And, um, and on top of that, I'm, I'm so happy that I, I get to talk to you about the way my life is now because for so many years, I went around doing the Al-Anon salute and I was in such pain and drama my entire life. I've been in pain and drama my whole life and I didn't even know why. Now with 13 brothers and sisters, they already knew when I was growing up. The other day, one of my sisters told me, oh, um, somebody's little girl acts like Marlene. It's like, what do you mean by that? Acts like Marlene. Oh, she's very dramatic. And it's like... They knew I was dramatic when I was little. I didn't know I was dramatic. I thought I was normal. You know, I, I thought that all the drama that was going on in my life 
was going on in everybody else's life too. And I didn't find out until I got to Al-Anon that my brothers and sisters didn't even perceive life the way that I did. They had their same moms and dads. We all grew up in the same house, but they didn't have the same stuff going on inside of them that I had going on inside of me. And that's why I believe that I was born with a disease of alcoholism. But alcohol doesn't fix me like it fixes an alcoholic. You know, I drank, didn't do anything except put me to sleep. And then I would wake up and puke the next day. So I would miss everything, you know. I mean, I wouldn't even get to have any fun. So, you know, blacked out or not. I mean, you know, I would just go to sleep and wake up and puke the next day. And uh, that's a drag. I wanted to stay awake and watch alcoholics because they were fun. <laughs> and, and they were exciting. And, um, I, you know, I didn't care if I had to drive home. It was okay. You know, it was really all right. Um, um, those alcoholic personalities were the ones that I wanted to hang out with. And um, the first day of the first grade, I found my first alcoholic. And I came home and I was in love. And um, <laughs> I told my mother I was in love. And, and that's the only reason I thought you went to school in the first place, was to fall in love and find a husband and get married and have children. That's what I thought women were supposed to do. I'm from the South and I'm Catholic. Pretty obvious from just what I said, okay, and the way I sound and not. You know, you have a lot of kids and you talk like me. And, um, but anyway, um, I was in love. And, um, you know, you hear alcoholics talk about how they're willing to go to any lengths to get sobriety. Well, really early on, I, I, I didn't know there was anything wrong with being willing to go to any lengths to get the man you need, the man you want. I was pretty willing. First or second grade, that little fella that I thought was just such a hottie the first day, that I needed him, uh, we cut a deal that uh, if he would give me a nickel, if I would show him my underwear. <laughs> Seemed reasonable, wasn't unreasonable. Um, you know, because I had seven brothers, six sisters, and we had the same bedroom. We all slept in the same bedroom. We had a very little house. It wasn't like the Waltons. And, um, <laughs> And everybody saw my drawers all the time, so big deal. And, and a nickel was hard to come by, you know, in the first and second grade. So it's like, I showed him my drawers. And the, the Catholic nun come in and practically went into a heart attack. And I was punished. And I don't remember the little boys getting in trouble, but I was punished and I still didn't get my nickel. He still owes me a nickel. But um, that was just the beginning of my behavior. I was going to break out in those kind of stupids for my life and not know that there was really anything wrong with it, because even in that situation, it was not my fault. It was that teacher, I mean, she was really very unreasonable. I mean, what was the deal in showing someone your drawers? You know, and later I found out it might have had something to do with that thing called sex, but nobody talked about that. At our house, they were too busy. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, I, I love my family. God, I love my family. Um, I, I've stayed in Allen on long enough to, um, to really love my family exactly the way they are. I used to leave my family, my mom's house, and, uh, and you know, my family with all the goings-on, and, and really be sad that they were not what I wanted them to be. And uh, it, it occurred to me just a few years ago, so why don't you just try loving them for what they are? You know, let them be what they are. And it's amazing how they've changed.
you know, in my mind. It's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, you know, after I lost the nickel, I went on to make more deals with more fellas. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess when I was about 15, I cut a deal with this fella that uh, we would get married. And it was a really smart idea because, you know, I mean, I met this dude. I, I didn't know who he was, um, but he was clean and he was cute. And he was in the military. And he told me that one day he was going to work at the Pentagon. Mm. Now, he didn't have a college education, but he did have a pint of booze under his front seat in his car. And I thought it was pretty reasonable. You know, he was a private in the military, but he was going to work at the Pentagon at some time, you know, and run the Pentagon, Secretary of Defense or something is what he said he was going to be. And, and I thought it would be fun to be the Secretary, Secretary of Defense's wife. You know, I'd figure it out as I went along. I'm mean, 15, I'm smart. And, uh, yeah, and very experienced. I thought, I thought I knew everything, everything that I needed to know. Uh, one thing I did know is I, I knew that I didn't, nobody paid attention to what I said around our house. And I wanted somebody to pay attention to me. And, um, and I thought he did. And um, I guess, you know, he let me drive his car home after he would pass out. That was exciting. Uh, <laughs> You know, we went places like cornfields and woods and stuff. We'd have to park the car up the street in the cornfield because I couldn't let my mom know that I drove home because I didn't have a license. And, um, but, you know, I, I had learned to drive by skipping religion class and going out with this other fellow that I'd had when I was about 12 or 13. I got busted for that, too. I always got caught, too. I, I never did get away with anything. I'm not good at lying. I'm not good at pretending. My memory isn't long enough to stack up stories. You know, I'll tell you one story, and by the time the next one gets halfway through, I forgot the last story, and then I'm in trouble, and it's, like, better to just tell the truth. So um, I knew how to drive, and, and I was driving the car home. Uh, it didn't really matter so much that he was getting drunk all the time because... When we would make up, it would be so romantic. This morning when John was talking about his romantic marriage, it's like, oh, I've had so many of those <laughs> with different people. And um, <laughs> couldn't keep one going past 10 years. I mean, 10 years is my limit. You know, if, if you haven't straightened up your act in 10 years, I'm not going to renew the marriage license. You know, but I'll give you a good 10-year try. I mean... I don't just call it a quick shot. But anyway, uh, the guy went to Vietnam in there, and he came home from Vietnam, and, and I was maybe 17 by then, and we did get married. And um, I, I don't, we got married because I wanted somebody to pay attention to me, and we moved to Virginia, and for God's sakes, I'd never been out of Kentucky. I had never been out of my county. I'm not even sure I'd ever been to the store. <laughs> I used to go for walks on the farm. You know, I knew how to work really hard, learned how to drive the tractor. We worked really hard. You know, I wonder, back then, did they have, you know, did we work to support our eating or did they have slaves to support a lifestyle? I don't know, but I was one of the little slaves. And to me, it would have just been easier to cut your losses. Don't feed some of us, you know, and, you know. <laughs> something uh but we had to work really hard so i knew from really early on that you, you were supposed to work really hard 
never have any fun. For excitement on Sundays, you would get to go to church and then come home and sit down. You didn't have to work. And uh, don't, you know, I, nobody talked about anything. Everybody yelled about everything, and everybody would fight about everything, including food. Um, I learned at that home that the women take care of the men, and... And that's okay, I guess, you know, and we were Catholic, you know, I don't know if that Catholic priest said anything about women are supposed to be submissive to men like those people John was talking about, but uh, I don't know, it was just kind of happening in my family, I saw it, and it's like, now that's a raw deal, huh, I'm not doing that, I am not doing what those, those women are doing, I am not going to be like them, um, I'm just going to do what guys do, they have a lot more fun, so... I hung out with the guys, and I learned how to drive and, and how to milk the cows, and I was always helping them work on their cars and stuff like that. And it was a whole lot more fun being one of the guys than it was to be, try to be one of the women. They had to work too hard. And then on top of working so hard, they were supposed to fix their hair and dress up and all that crud, and I hate that. I hate dressing up. I hate wearing pantyhose. You know, I will never do that again if I can help it. I mean, you know... If Al-Anon required that I wore pantyhose once a month or something, maybe I would, but I'm not sure. I might skip that night. But um, anyway, um, I just I didn't like doing that woman thing. I didn't want to be submissive. And that was always the problem. I, I didn't like following rules. I didn't like anybody telling me what to do. Um, I learned really early on in, the, you know, in elementary school, I went to Catholic elementary school, um, that I was going to hell anyway. I mean, you know, you, you're supposed to memorize those commandments, and I couldn't memorize them, and if I couldn't even know what they were, how in the hell was I going to keep them? <laughs> so, oh, now my language, oh, mm. I, I, I ask God to please give me the words to say what I need to say in a way that is acceptable and not offensive to people. But this is who I am. It's coming right on out. So I, <laughs> so I hope I don't offend anyone. But... Um, you know, I will dispel that image of the Al-Anon woman that is a lady and does everything right and uh, never committed a sin until they met their alcoholic husband because that wasn't my case. You know, I was sick as a dog by the time I met all three of them, you know, and they just helped me along a little bit on my journey. Um, but uh, I knew I was going to hell, so I thought I'd just hang on with the other people that were going to hell and we'd have lots of fun. And then we'd end up all together having fun in hell. And, um, and that was okay for me. And, and I married into my first hell, and I moved away. And uh, I didn't know anybody there, didn't know how to make friends, because I had friends. I was born with friends. They were my sisters and my brothers. And with that many people in your family, who cares if you know anybody else? So I never knew how to introduce myself or how to make friends or anything like that. that I didn't learn how to do that in school or anywhere. Um, I was lonely. God, was I lonely. It was terrible. I had nobody to talk to. And he would go away to the field sometimes, and I would just be so alone. And then when he would come home, it was like he wouldn't be what I wanted him to be. He would, um, he would go out, and he would drink, and, um, and he would dance with other women. And, you know, and, and he would treat other women really cool, and then he would treat me like I was, like, dumb and ugly and stupid. And uh, I didn't understand that. I didn't know why. Uh, he seemed like he just undercut everything that I ever was. And I know today that, um, that that's that person's insecurity 
And I know today that that's also a part of being controlling, you know, because if you convince someone else that they need you really bad, it's going to be harder for them to leave. And that's what happened to me. Um, that relationship became really violent, really quick. Um, wasn't surprising to me because I've been fighting with my brothers and sisters my whole life. So to fight, I mean, physically fight with my husband when I'm 17, 18 years old. So what? You know, don't everybody do that? You know, if your husband does something you don't like, don't you throw something at him? Don't you try to slap him in the mouth? Uh, no, I wouldn't advise it. If you get mad at someone, don't you get in their face and tell them what you think? No. You know, I learned such wise things when I came to Al-Anon. It's like, you don't have to attend every fight you're invited to. Well, it's like, <laughs> spiritual awakening. I mean, no kidding. You know, it's like, if you don't want your face slapped, don't get it close enough to reach. Smart things like, I didn't know. Honest to God, I really just didn't know. I just kind of grew up like a weed. There was no guidance. And, I mean, and I'm sure my mom and dad tried. They have some other kids that are normal. <laughs> and I don't know what happened to me. And, and we all laugh, you know, because I just kind of created my own path as I went along. And it's been exciting. Damn, I've had a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> But at the time, it was so, oh, it was so painful, and it was so dramatic, and, and I knew for sure that I was the only person in the world that was living the life that I was living, and I was so ashamed. Um, I was so ashamed of what was going on in that marriage and in that life. Um, I was doing everything I could to keep him from drinking and make him happy, because that was my job, to make him happy. I hadn't the faintest idea how to make me happy, but I thought I was supposed to make him happy. And all I did was get in his way and on his nerves and um, kind of wore on mine, too. Um, we just had nothing. We were just so immature and so sick. He came from an alcoholic family. I did, too. And we just kind of fit together and helped our disease grow. In there somewhere, the great idea of having a baby came along, and I mean, and that just happened because I forgot to take the birth control, okay? And, um, and I thought, well, what the heck? We'll have a baby, you know? He'll quit drinking. Nah, it don't work. I only had one baby, though. I learned that it, the first try, you know, because she didn't, she didn't quit crying for two years. And it had nothing to do with her calm, serene, loving, supportive mother that she did not have. The mother she had was bizarre and crazy and in a rage and outraged and nervous and angry and couldn't have sat in a rocking chair to hold her and comfort her and feed her for more than a, probably not even a minute at a time. <coughs> so no wonder she cried for two years. I, I would have, being born to a mother like me, I'd have cried two years too, and a father like hers. It's a miracle she's so good today. But anyway, that's later. Um, we stayed married for 10 years went on, you know, just kind of escalated. She was born at four years of our marriage, and then uh, it kind of went on for 10 years. And in there somewhere, I finally took that last punch. And I understand people when, uh, when you talk about living in, in violence, you talk about domestic violence, and a lot of people don't understand that. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, he hits me once, I'm out of here. I'd kill him. You know, I'd do this, I'd do that. I know what I did. 
I believed him every time he came back and he told me he was sorry and it wasn't going to happen again. I believed him because I wanted to believe him. And every time he would say that he wasn't going to drink and he wasn't going to hurt us anymore, I believed him and I needed to believe him uh, because I thought that that's all I had. He was all I had. Um, somewhere in there, I just couldn't take it anymore and I decided to uh, leave him. And, um, you know, because it's like my daughter deserves a good mom. She deserves good parents is what I'm thinking. It's like she deserves good parents. If she can't have two good parents, she at least deserves one. And I would have had to hire one or find one. She didn't have any. You know, I was the one that kidnapped her and took her off with me. But I did not get better. You know, because during that time, I mean, okay, it's like if you're an alcoholic, imagine yourself just taking yourself away from all the alcohol. The liquor stores are gone. The bootleggers are gone. You don't know anybody that's got nothing to drink. That's where I was. And I was desperately looking for that next man to fill that hole that I needed filled. Someone said this morning they was trying to fill a, a hole in their soul with alcohol. Well, I was trying to fill that hole in my soul with a man. And it just so happened that the only men that I felt qualified to love were alcoholics because they were like me. I could relate to them. And, and I didn't feel like I was less than them. As a matter of fact, you give me a really drunk alcoholic, I feel kind of superior to him, them. Because a drunk alcoholic usually is a little stupid when they're drunk, you know? And so if you act a little stupid, I might feel a little superior to you. That shows you how I felt about me because I truly felt stupid. I felt unworthy. I felt bad. So that's the people that I, I hung out with. Um, during that time, I remember my daughter saying something to another of one of my friends about, oh, mom has a hundred boyfriends. And it's like, whoa, that's not so good. But it was probably about true. I was just looking for the next alcoholic to come along. And, and when you're like me, I mean, alcoholics have an affinity to us too. I don't know what it is. I used to say that I could walk into a room and the, if there was one active alcoholic in that room, they would like me or I would like them. I could pick them out. It's like a sensor goes off. And it's like, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine. Stay away. Don't you touch him, he's mine. And I'm taking him home tonight. And, um, and he's going to be fixed in a week. And it's going to grow into a bizarre event that lasts 10 years. And that's what happened with the next husband. I ran into him um, at a swimming pool. My daughter was maybe, I don't know, she was maybe seven, eight by then. And I ran into this guy down at the swimming pool, and you know, and I'm just pitifully, pathetically lonely. Um, and uh, I'm down at the swimming pool, and I stood back up because God cut me slack in between all these bizarre men that I picked. God cut me slack, and he would send me in a good one every now and then. And... Um, a nice one that would help me out with my life, you know, and be kind to my daughter and, and do things around the house and stuff and, you know, just really help to make my life easier. And I truly believe that that's what partners do for each other. But uh, he was born a drag. I mean, I always knew. I knew where he was going to be after work. He was going to come home and get in my face. Um, he would write love songs and sing them to me. And play a guitar. And it's like, well, for God's sakes, how exciting is that? You know? I, he would play these love songs, and I would think, oh, God, I just wish you'd shut up and go away. 
because I could not believe that about me. I mean, you are jerking my leg and you just want something, so cut to it and tell me what you want. You know, because you don't have to play them fiddles. I mean, you know, I'm pretty easy. Anyway, but, uh, oh, God. I've gotten better, I've gotten better, God. But uh, I got rid of him. I got rid of him. Um, I broke out in a real big stupid when my father died. Um, I lived pretty close to where my mom and my dad lived at the time. And so I got to go to the hospital every day and see my dad while he was in the hospital. And when he died, I just, ah. Uh, like never nobody's ever going to get that close to me again uh i took a promotion with the job i had and i moved up to northern kentucky it was about a, three hours away from anybody in my family and uh, me and my daughter was up there and i was lonely and it, it was pretty bad and um but it was worse for my daughter truly it was uh living with an alcoholic parent is you know living with a, a pre-alanon or it's just as bad. It's, it's not any better. I mean, it truly is not any better. I became an Alateen sponsor later in my recovery, and uh, Alateens, when they would come in, they would say, man, you know, like, my dad is drunk, but what is wrong with my mom? Or maybe, <laughs> maybe my mom is drunk, but my dad is Fruit Loops. I mean, I don't know what he's doing. And, um, and it was the truth. And I could see myself in that, and, and they helped me to mature and, and find some, you know, some sobriety, mental sobriety. Um, but anyway, I, I, I ran away from that situation, trying to get away from the pain of my father dying, and it took me about a year, year and a half to find me another one that was really good and sick enough to keep me entertained for the next 10 years. And I thought he was better than the first one. Now, my daughter says he was not. But I thought he was. Um, over the course of that 10 years, I truly would like to know how many times that he packed up and moved out, or I packed up and moved out. And how many, t and every time, it had to be at least a thousand times. At least a thousand times. And every time I believed it would be the last time I would see him, and my heart would break, and I would cry, and go on like my life was ending. And now I think about that and it's like, ah, insanity. That is insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And it never changed. He continued to drink. I continued to do the deal. It, it did not change. Somewhere in there, I had known him if not the full 10 years and we weren't married yet because when I found out with the first guy that if you marry him, that don't change anything. And if you have a baby, that don't change anything. So this one, I'll just live with him. I've got to try a new tactic. We'll just live together because that way, if he turns out to be something that I don't like, I'll just leave. Thus, the moving in and out thousand times. Um, he would get mad and he would move and I would get mad and I would move. And, and we would move to different sides of the swimming pool. He had a condo over there, I had a condo over here, and I had binoculars. <laughs> I swear to you, I did, I did, I did, I did. I'm good at picking locks. If a, if a door opens in, I'm in, I'm in. You better get a deadbolt, you know, because I can open it like that, open it like that. Um, you know, and I think that if I've ever lived in your house for a week, I have a right to break in and check out your stuff. I might not take anything, or I might, 
Um, but mostly I just want to know what you're doing. And I think it's my business. And I, oh, I was so wrong. God, I was so wrong. Um, I probably should make amends to him for that someday. <laughs> it just hit me. <laughs> oh, I never told him I broke into it. Oh, he knows about a few of them. But anyway, um, anyway, we were married, and uh, my daughter knew that something was not... She, she knew something was wrong, and I didn't know so much that something was wrong because it was just a continuation of my life. And, um, but she, kinda, she was talking to the counselor at school, and I was getting really mad, you know, because you're not supposed to talk about this personal life stuff with anybody. It's a secret. Nobody else lives like us. So you got to keep it a secret. And I was getting really mad because she was talking to this counselor. And this counselor was kind of mentioning Alateen and Al-Anon and, and Alan nothing. I, I didn't want any part of Alan nothing. Alan nothing. I mean, I just wanted the man to stop drinking. Um, that was the problem. That was the whole problem. Um, but then there, there did come a time in there we, we were still, I was physically fighting with them too. I had learned that you're not, you know, how close to get, but I was still getting too close too often, and um, Christy was seeing that, and I didn't want that to happen. And she did ask me to go to an Al-Anon meeting. She started bugging me to go to Al-Anon with her friend's mom. And um, one night we were having this fight, and, and see, I don't remember him drinking out of glasses. I remember him drinking, I guess maybe he made himself a mixed drink that night or something, because he threw the glass across the room and it busted. And I remember... It, that was like a spiritual awakening, too. I was scooted up into a corner. My head was in the corner, and he was kneeling on my arms, and he had this broken glass over my face. And I'm thinking, gee, I ought to do something different, you know. I mean, this is not safe. I mean, he's drunk, and, you know, something really could happen. But I was really afraid because I thought, well, what if I just find somebody worse? Because I thought the first one was worse. And I didn't know that I deserved better. I thought that you just went out and whatever nut fell off the tree in front of you, you pick it up and you make it into whatever pie you want. It's like trying to make a pecan pie out of walnuts or something. I don't know. And, and, and you know, the nuts would fall near me. They were mine. And um, anyway, um, I finally did. I give up. After that, I kind of started thinking Al-Anon might be cool. And, and I went to Al-Anon and... I kind of went because I thought maybe I would meet some nicer guys, but uh, oh, but maybe I thought I could learn something that would change him. I, I really didn't think that I needed changing. I, I really thought that I should be up for sainthood. Um, I had the permanent groove in my forehead from moaning and whining and sighing and... My sister had been in Al-Anon for about 10 years before I got in, and she had just got flat tired of hearing my mouth. She was tired of hearing me bitch about this man. She was tired about me bitching about the first husband, the second husband, and if I don't do something, I'm going to have a third husband that's going to be equally as bad, and she knew it. And she would just, she would cut me off. I would start, you know, start up. Oh, and, um, and she would say, you need a meeting, and change the topic. And she would say, well, you need a meeting, and change the topic. And it's like, well, damn. Boy, she's really a bitch. She wouldn't even listen to me and bitch with me anymore. And she had an alcoholic husband too, but she wasn't bitching anymore. She was going to these meetings. And it's like, well, and if you run out of places to bitch, I mean, we talk about alcoholics that have codependence and, and you know, are enablers. Well, you can't bitch about somebody if nobody listens. 
It's a waste of time. And, I mean, but how many times did I go to the grocery store and bitch or at the laundromat and bitch? I would bitch to anybody, anybody that was available. I would bitch, but, oh, I couldn't share my private life. Oh, no, we got to keep this secret. Nobody knows about this. It's just bizarre, the stuff that's going on in my head. Started going to Al-Anon. I didn't think it was very funny. People were sitting around and laughing, and, and it's like, you don't live like me. Nah, you don't have a husband at home like mine. Nah, you don't, you, no, mm -mm. I'm much more pitiful than you. Um, you don't have to do what I do. And um, I didn't identify, I didn't want to identify. I just wanted, you know, some new places to bitch. I thank God. I thank God for, you know, some stronger Al-Anons that they, they wouldn't listen to me, bitch. They just wouldn't. One of my dear friends today, one of the things that she said, I was saying, I am so sick and tired that he's doing such and such. And she said, good. When you get sick and tired enough, you will change. And she turned around and walked off. And I was like, damn, she's a bitch too. <laughs> you, you go to Al-Anon and you turn into a bitch. There's some of you guys that think that too. It's not true. <laughs> you don't. You really don't. You just, you, you get so tired of living that life. You don't even want to hear about it anymore. It's a waste. It's a waste of living to live your life in self-pity and anger and all that crud that I drug around with me for so long. I wish I could say that I went and I worked the steps and I grasped this program and I just got wonderful recovery soon, but I did not. Um, about three years into Al-Anon, I'm still living with the alcoholic on and off. We're still living together because we know we don't want to be married. It's too bad for that. So we're still living together off and on and off and on and off and on. And, uh, and uh, one day I went over to his house. I, I knew I was really feeling very spiritual that day. I knew that I needed to go over and check on his his physical well-being because he had been drinking earlier that day and just ushered me right on out of his house and I knew something was up you know but I told myself I had to go over and check on his physical health and to make sure no one else was there checking on his physical health and um, if I'd really been going to check on his physical health wouldn't I maybe use the doorbell or knock I took out my little credit card and my driver's license and I went and opened that door, went right in and I walked down the hallway and there's women's clothes laying on the sofa and a purse. And um, I thought at the time there was nobody living there, so that was odd. He, I thought he was supposed to be living there alone. And you would think that some good Al-Anon would kick in and say, Marlene, take your butt right back out of here. This is none of your business. You don't need to you know, do this, but I did. And I went up the stairs, flipped down all the overhead lights, went up the stairs, and he was upstairs in the bedroom, and there was this, I think she had blonde streaked hair, I'm not for sure, but she had a little bitty green bikini underwear. And, and as far as I remember, I remember that she was shaped kind of like a Barbie doll. And if, and if this ever happened to any of you guys, I'll make amends to you after the meeting. Um, because I went in and I started throwing things and yelling and screaming and and just carrying on, and she didn't know about me. She didn't know, I didn't know, he knew, but you know, and he's totally naked, laying out on the bed, and he comes, I start breaking things, I'm throwing a full-length mirror into the bathroom, breaking things, I go down the steps, ripping pictures off the wall that I had left there for him to be comfortable. 
and ripping curtains off the wall that I had left there for him. And I'm getting really close to starting to throw those dining room chairs that I left there for him out the front windows. And he chases me around the house and out the front door naked. Uh, I have clothes on. He's the one that's naked. And, uh, and there's glass all over the floor and everything. And, you know, Al-Anon would say, stay away from him. You know, just stay away from him. Uh, you don't need any more of that. You know, and everybody I knew in Al-Anon, oh, did I. Oh, why does it have to happen to me? You know, and I mean, it was painful. Honest to God, it was. It hurt. You know, even though in my heart I didn't really trust him, but I was, I was living that fantasy that I'm, you're supposed to trust, and, and I was committed, and surely he was too. And, but I knew he didn't like drinking alone. He didn't like drinking alone. And you know, when he kind of convinced me that he didn't like to drink alone and, and maybe we should get married. So six weeks later, we got married. <laughs> and, uh, and if you ever wonder if an Al-Anon has a slip, that's an example of one. <laughs> one. Uh, that is an Al-Anon slip. Um, my higher power has plans for me. He, he really has plans for me. Because up until that time, I'd only been going to about one meeting a week. That's all I needed. I wasn't very sick, don't you know? And um, only one meeting a week. I had a sponsor, but I didn't call her. Uh, I read the book, but I didn't work the steps. Uh, I was still breaking into his apartment on a regular basis. I mean, on the way to meetings, I would stop by his apartment and search it. <laughs> go on to the meeting. And on the way to the meeting, I was, oh, I'm so ashamed. I can't tell these girls this. You know, I can't tell my Alan and friends that I'm breaking into his apartment to check it out before I get to the meeting. And then it would come my turn. It's like, you got to tell the truth. So I'd say, oh, I broke into his apartment. There's another woman living there. And, um, and there would be like four or five girls come up afterwards and said, now we did that too, but it's against the law and you really shouldn't do that. So the next time call us. And it's like, that's how you identify. You tell the truth. And people come up to you and they tell you the truth. And you find out that you're not a bit different than everybody else. I haven't done nothing that everybody else hasn't already done. I don't have a secret in the world. You talk about being happy, joyous, and free. If you have secrets, you can't be happy, joyous, and free. You've got to remember the secrets. I don't have to remember nothing. I mean, it is so free. I don't have to know nothing. You know, I can be who I am every day and be as happy as I want to be. It's fantastic. Uh, just tell your secrets. You know, it's everybody, it'll just give everybody an opportunity to identify. Uh, that next year that I was married, um, uh, we broke up on the first night. He took his ring back and went home, and I stayed at my place. Through the entire marriage, we had two houses. He had his, I had mine. Um, um, the reason I had a house at the time is because I decided to move out this time and buy something because I thought I got to do something different. And if I just rent a place, I'll end up moving back in. And so I bought a place. Everything that I worked out, you know, all my, all my good thinking was just another place or another thing to do to get to where I was powerless. Because, I mean, when I bought a place, he just moved into my place. And I ended up paying for it. I mean... I tell people that I sponsor today, you got an idea? Do it. Just go ahead and do it. Get it over with. Because as soon as you run out of ideas, you're going to get powerless and you're going to get back to where you need to be, which is doing what God wants you to do. Run out of ideas. And if you want to, tell me what they are before you do them, because we'll laugh. I mean, they're funny. 
It'll bring back some good memories of the good old days. And I mean, and the good old days are not real far off. I mean, I have not gotten saved from stupidness. Um, <laughs> I have to keep coming back, you know, all the time. I have to keep coming back. We stayed married for a year. And during that year, I kicked it up a notch. I started going to meetings every day. I got a sponsor, and I started working the steps. I was flat-ass miserable and willing to do anything to feel better. And I was out of ideas. I had no more. I had to marry him so that I could get a divorce from him and be finished. Because if, if I hadn't tried everything I knew, I could never have been done. At the end of that year, he had actually tried sobriety for about five months, which gave us the opportunity to make amends to each other. Him and my daughter made some amends to each other. And I actually saw how hard an alcoholic really can try uh, to stay sober for somebody else. And that's what it was. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't stay sober. And, and um, we kind of let each other go. And it was painful. Because when you let somebody that you really do love go, because you know it's just dying, you're killing each other, it hurts. It hurts really bad. And, and I remember saying, fine, God. You know, I'm doing what you say. I'm going to meetings. I'm working the steps. I'm talking to my sponsor. You know, I'm giving up that damn alcoholic that you want me to. But I feel like I'm bleeding to death and dying. You know, my heart is breaking and I'm... And, you know, it's like, what in the heck do I have now? You know, I'm cleaning house. I got a whole empty garage in my heart that is just dying. And that's how I felt. Just because I didn't have that man, I felt like I had nothing. Um, but I kept going back to Al-Anon. And, um, and I started doing some stuff for myself. I, I had started going to school, um, college, taking some college classes, um, mostly just to find out if I was stupid or not. Because people, I mean, I kind of thought I was stupid. So I took some college classes and I made A's. And um, I said, Dag, I'm not stupid. I could learn if I want to. And then I quit school. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I bought myself a convertible. I'd always wanted a convertible. I bought myself one. I was having a wonderful time. I was going to school, meeting people. My confidence was much, much better. I was trusting God. I was still, you know, I was, I was getting okay. Okay, not perfectly okay. I just kind of switched and started trying to control my daughter's life a little bit. She was, uh, <laughs> you know, we got to do something to stay busy. Um, she had gone away to college and, um, during that time, and, and she was doing some things that I didn't like. So I'd kind of, I this one night I went to a meeting um, because I was, you know, nervous about something she was doing, and I knew she was old enough to do it if she wanted to. So I went to a meeting, and... Um, and I'm just all down and depressed again, you know, using the groove. And, uh, and I was looking down at the floor, and I looked over, and it's like, man, there's some nice-looking legs, men's legs. And, um, <laughs> and I've never done that in an Alanon meeting before, you know, really, really. And I've been going for a while by then, too. And I saw these legs and looked up, and, and they were attached to this older man. And it's like, gee. And then during the meeting, he said some good stuff. It's like, hmm. And then after the meeting, he came up and he made a comment about my accent, how cute it was. And it's like, hmm. And I didn't know him. I'd never seen him anywhere. And uh, the next week, I took off from work, especially to go back to that meeting again, to see those legs again. Um, and those legs asked me out for coffee. Uh, we went out for coffee. And then um, he asked me to go out the next weekend. And we started dating, and uh, last week we celebrated eight years 
of happy marriage, really. And um, he is absolutely a gift from God. He has taught me so many lessons. I have learned so much through him. You know, and uh, at the time I met him, just last week when we celebrated our anniversary, I was thinking, oh, when we got married, oh, he had such a catch, such a fine. That's how I felt, you know. Oh, Miss Alanon, Miss Know Myself and Be Happy. And, oh, he got such a good deal. Oh, God. He got such a raw deal. Oh, man. You know, I mean, my higher power knew what he was doing for me. But I'm not so sure about what his was doing for him. Because one of the first things that I went to work on right away when we first got married was he had this daughter that needed to be straightened out. And it wasn't my job. It was his. And I didn't even take into consideration that he had known her the previous 27 years and knew he couldn't straighten her out and knew that he was powerless. He was not powerless because I was not powerless over my daughter, so he was not powerless over his. So for three years, I was on his case. Every time she came into our life, I was on his case to make her be different, to make her be a better mother, to make her do this and make her do that. Oh, God, and I put us through such pain. I put us through such hell. We went to court. We sued her. We took her kid away from her, and she took her back. God, that was painful. And I think, you know, I think about somebody forcing me to do something like that to my own kid. I feel so sad that I did that to him. I feel so truly sad that I did that. But that was the best that I knew how to do at the time. Other than her, we really did. We got along so well. And if I could have only kept my mouth shut, it could have been easier for us. But I, that was one of the major lessons I had to learn in the relationship with him. Um, he has truly been so good to me the whole time we've been married. Fair, I mean, he's been sober almost 20 years. And, um, and he did go to Al-Anon, too. I did meet him in an Al-Anon meeting. And uh, he teases that he works a better Al-Anon meeting a better Al-Anon uh, program than me, but he doesn't go to meetings very often anymore. But uh, I'm not going to get on his case anymore because I'm starting to see how much I have learned from him. And, um, and he's been working one hell of an AA program. And um, this year, uh, he started thinking about retiring and stuff, and he decided he was going to have the, well, really, two years ago, he had two neck surgeries done. And... Um, and they, he recovered pretty well from them. They weren't so bad. And, and, you know, and I didn't have to do so much, you know. And, and I think I wasn't so afraid when he had those neck surgeries. But uh, he had two knee surgeries this year. And uh, in January, two days, two, three days before his first knee replacement surgery, um, our brother-in-law died. He wasn't very old. He was only about 70 years old. Been out to eat the night before hanging out, talking, laughing, wonderful, peaceful, blessed man. I mean, he didn't have a program. He was just fun to hang out with, a good man. And he just went to sleep and didn't wake up, which is a very peaceful, wonderful way to end your life. But man, that filled me with so much fear that when Dick went into the hospital, I stayed there 24 hours a day to take care of him. I tried to sleep with one eye open because it was my job to be a good wife and to keep him alive. He could not die. He didn't need doctors or nurses or hospital staff. He had me. 
24 hours a day. And um, I, didn't take, I, I didn't take anything for myself to the hospital. I had no clothes, no toothbrush, no nothing. Um, I just flipped out and, and sucked myself onto him. And um, I bring him home and I write out charts of how he's supposed to take his medication and how he's supposed to do his therapy and blah, 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 blah. And thank God he did not indulge me. He didn't tell me to quit. He just didn't do it. <laughs> he very, you know, his recovery showed through the whole thing. He let me carry on and do everything I needed to do. He just didn't pay attention to me. And... um. <laughs> He went back in for the sex, the sex surgery. Oh my God! No, no, no. If anybody in here would be me, but anyway, um, went back in for the neck surgery, and um, I did the same thing. <laughs> I stayed with him the whole time. I made his life mine. I made his business mine. And I mean, and I'm just dying. I mean, I'm skipping my own meetings. I'm not talking to my sponsor. I'm not reading. I don't have time to pray. I am too busy keeping my husband alive. <laughs> I've got a good husband. And I mean, this is the truth, guys. I have a wonderful husband. And it's my time to give back something to him. And I mean, you know, when an Alan person is going to give, we're going to give 150 damn percent. But so we're sick and tired of him. We want to kill him and send him to rehabilitation. You know? And, uh, oh, God, he went through the second surgery. He gets really sick. I try doing old stuff like bitch Adam and raise hell Adam and say, fine, lay there on the bed and die. I turned into a nasty bitch. And um, thank God my Al-Anon sponsor called me. I was just sitting at home going down the drain, going down the tubes. Uh, trying to be this perfect wife. And uh, my Al-Anon sponsor called me up, and she says, oh, I haven't seen your home group for two weeks in a row. You must be really sick. <laughs> and it's like, no, not really. I was working today. And, uh, and she said, well, what are you doing tomorrow? It's like, oh, I got an art class. You see, I'm developing other interests. And I'm allowed to develop other interests and have other things, but I, by damn, better be working my program first. Or I'm going to be nuts. And my art will be like, I don't know, the guys with the ears cut off and stuff. I mean, it'll be bizarre stuff. And, uh, but anyway, um, she, she got me going back to meetings. And uh, she got me back out of my husband's life and into my own life and into my own business. And, um, you know, it's amazing. From the day that I skipped that art class and went to her to Al-Anon, the, 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 the light switch came back on. My husband has his life back. You know, my major focus is my higher power again, and life is good. And God gives me what I need to live the life that I have. And it is the most wonderful life I can imagine. I have so much more than I could have ever, ever worked and finagled and fixed. I always wanted three daughters, and I, and I, but I was only courageous enough to have one. And uh, Dick has two daughters, and I have a wonderful, wonderful relationship with the one daughter, uh, because she's just like Dick, and we get along great. The other daughter that I don't get along with has taught me some of the most valuable lessons that I will take to my grave. Her little, her little daughter, the one that lived with us for a while, oh, oh my God, she needs a big book so bad. She's about 12, 13. And, uh, but, uh, oh, she taught me so many lessons, and she lived with us for nine months and almost killed us, but uh, she told me the week before she left, she said, Nana, you are going to forget everything I taught you. <laughs> and I thought, you little, hmm, 
Because I had worked myself into a tiz being the perfect mother for her too. And I was about to have a nervous breakdown over her too, just like I did with the husband. I mean, give me somebody that I'm in charge of, you know? Give me a life that I get to run. And I will just run off the deep end of the world with it. You know, I'll just give it everything. And I'll totally lose myself. And that's not what God wants me to do. God wants me to stay in the life that he gave me and live the life that he gave me. And, and enjoy it. Have fun with it. You know, and, and share it with people like you and my family. You know, just enjoy them. Let them be who they are. And uh, it's just fantastic. It's, it's amazing. God, I'm so happy I lived what I've lived. It hasn't always been funny. hasn't always been easy. But I've learned the lessons I needed to learn in the only way that I was capable of learning it. And, um, you know, I, I don't regret any of it. Absolutely don't regret any of it. Uh, last week, I said again, and I mean it, um, that if today were my last day, that I would, to be, would be alive. I would feel that I've had the most wonderful life. The, there is nothing that I, ha- that I feel like I've missed. You know, and there's a lot of places I'd like to go to visit, and there's a lot of people I love, you know, and, and I know that they would like it if I hang around. But um, I feel like I've had my fair share. I really do. It's just been wonderful. And it's because of AA. Alanon and Ality. It's only because of that. Because my mind, even today, after 15 years in Alanon, can take me right back into the pits of hell. Right back into believing that I'm no good and that I need to start managing other people's lives and telling other people what to do and blah, 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 blah. And wearing my hand around stuck to my forehead. So uh, I really appreciate you asking me to come here to talk, and um, and it's just it's just been real wonderful to hear the wonderful speakers you've had here before me, and I know we have some good ones later too. Thank you very much.